What is love? That's a tough question. Love can sometimes be hard to define. I remember when I was little, someone, uh, an adult said, love is that feeling you feel when you feel a feeling like you've never felt before. I don't know if that was much help at all, but I think you know what they mean, that, that sometimes love is that gut feeling and you don't know how to describe it. We even talk about love as an emotion and how we can fall in love. It's like we're just minding our own business and all of a sudden something happens and we're in love. Love can be an emotion. Love is defined in the dictionary as a strong affection for another person. And that certainly is true. There's an element of affection and emotion when it comes to love. But is that all love is? Is love merely an emotion? Or is love more than that? Is love an emotion that then expresses itself in practical and tangible ways? You see, love is, is not only a strong affection for another person. Love is not only a strong desire for the well-being of another person. Love actually goes the next step and does something to enable the best in that other person or to build up the well-being of that other person. Love's not just an emotion. Love is an action. And the reason we're talking about love today is because we believe it's important when you're looking for love to know what you're looking for. Whenever you're looking for love, you need to know what you're looking for. You need to be able to evaluate, is this experience, is this emotion, is this relationship that I'm in, is this truly love? What am I looking for when I say I'm looking for love? You need to know what you're looking for. And sadly, you know, it can be confusing at times to know, is this real love or, or not? And so today's message is to help give us some practical advice and guidance on what love looks like. We're going to take you to that famous chapter on love. You, you knew it. You, you knew it had to be. It's February 13th. You knew before Valentine's Day. We had to go take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll look at verses 1 through 7 particularly on this great topic of love. If you've ever been in a wedding, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture read. And if you've been to a wedding and they didn't read this, it was probably because the bride said, I hear it at every other wedding. I don't want it at mine. I want to be unique. But this is a very famous passage on love. And what's interesting about this passage is that the Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth in the first century, he is writing about love, but he doesn't talk about it as an emotion. He talks about it as action. In fact, he uses 15 different verbs to describe how love behaves and what love looks like. And he's writing this because there's a deficiency of love in the Corinthian church. There was all kinds of confusion about what love was. There was division in the church. There was sin that was being tolerated among members in the church. There were uh, all kinds of rivalries and strifes. There were people who were saying, I like this preacher better than that preacher. When he's preaching, I don't go to church. And, and then others who were super spiritual, I don't like any of those preachers. Just give me Jesus. 
And there was just all kinds of division and animosity and schisms in this church. Thank God we don't live in a culture where people are divided or hateful. Um, so, so it may be hard for you to imagine that. But if you've ever seen hatred or division or animosity or abuse or taking advantage of other people, you know what love doesn't look like because that's not love. So Paul is writing this letter to the church to say to them, you've got a lot of good things going for you, but you're lacking in love. And if you don't have that, nothing else really matters. And you know, that's true with us today. That we may have a lot going for us. We may have a lot of skills and talents and abilities as individuals. But if we don't have a heart of love, what good is it? So today we could spend a lot of time giving you definitions of love. We could spend a lot of time uh, trying to limit, narrow, and define love. But I think perhaps what we need are fewer definitions of love or declarations of love. And what we need are more demonstrations of love. Because talk is cheap. We need not more definitions, not more I love yous. We need more demonstrations by how we treat other people that we truly are people of love. Listen, this is true whether you're single and dating or whether you're married or whether you have children or whether you're in a friendship relationship or how you treat people at work or how you view people who have a different political viewpoint than you do. This is all important for every single one of us in every relationship of our lives. But it's especially important for those of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. He says we must get love right. There was a time where he pulled his disciples together and he said, listen, love one another. And by this love will the world know that you're my disciples, how you love one another. So we've got to make sure we get this right. The bottom line for today's message is this. We need fewer definitions and declarations, more demonstrations. And here's what a demonstration of love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, we, we discover the Apostle Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's just pause there for a moment. We're going to walk slowly through these verses today. But in, in Chapter 13, verse 1, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians that even if you have the eloquence of speech where you can speak eloquently in different languages or even the language of angels, but you're devoid of love, you are nothing but a noisy gong. You know what a gong, remember? A gong, boom, boom. Or, or clanging cymbals. I could come back to our drum set and I could just crash on those cymbals. And after a while, it's going to grate your nerves. It's going to get on your nerves. You're going to be irritated because it's just a bunch of noise. And the Apostle Paul says, eloquence minus love is noise. The world is tired of hearing people talk about love. The world is desperately looking for people to demonstrate love. So Paul says, be careful before you pat yourself on the back of how good of a speaker you are, how good of a preacher you are, how eloquent you are in, in defending your position. And be careful 
when you just say you love if that is not backed up by how you live. Otherwise, you're just making a bunch of noise. Look at verse 2. He continues his argument about how important love is. He says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So here Paul is saying spiritual knowledge and power minus love equals nothing. I don't care how good you preach. I don't care how eloquent you teach. I don't care how much you say you have faith in God. If that is not backed up with the life of love, not only do you have nothing, you are nothing. You think you're a somebody, you're a nobody in the eyes of God if you don't have love. Verse 3, he writes, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying personal sacrifices minus love equals nothing. There's no gain to that. There's no profit to that. Nothing will come out of that that will last for eternity because you didn't have love as the motive for your personal sacrifices. No matter what you give to the poor, or even if you give your own life as a martyr, if it is not motivated out of love for God and love for other people, it profits you nothing. Paul is saying, without love, you are a noisy nobody whose life will amount to nothing in the eyes of God. Without love. I don't know about you, but I think Paul's making his point pretty clearly. Love might be important. Maybe love is important. Now, he continues by helping us understand how love behaves, what love looks like. Go to verse 4. Love, and we're just going to walk through these one by one, love is patient. Man, I don't like this list already. This started out rough. This is hard. Love is patient. The, the word in the Greek is macrothumia. Macro, which means large, and then thumia, where we get our word thermometer or heat. So he's saying rather than being short-tempered, love is long-tempered. Love is patient. This patience is exhibited towards problems and people. Love is patient when you're facing a problem. It hangs in there. It doesn't throw in the towel. It doesn't quickly give up. And love is patient when it comes to people. Because often, your problems have names. <laughs> and there are people in your life who are going to be a problem for you. And you're going to have to learn to be patient with them. Love is humble, which enables you to be patient with another person because love reminds you, you're not perfect, you haven't arrived, you don't have it all together, so therefore you can exhibit some patience with other people who are also in progress, who are also a work in progress. When I was a kid, we used to sing in our children's choir uh, that song that said, he's still working on me. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the, the, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient God must be because he's still working on me. He made all of creation in six days and rested, but he's still patiently working in my life. And that means I ought to be patient with other people. 
Love is patient, he writes in verse 4. He also continues, and kind. Love is not just patient, folding its arms, mad at the world, mad at the people of the world. No, love is patient and kind. It means they're tender-hearted. A loving person is empathetic. A loving person will actually do something that's for the good of that other person. An act of mercy, an act of gentleness, an act of kindness goes a long way to demonstrate love. Love is patient and kind. And then he continues, and love does not envy or boast. Does not envy. Envy is this inordinate jealousy of another person's success. You know, the Bible teaches in the book of Romans that we are to rejoice when others rejoice and we are to weep when others weep. But envy and jealousy rejoices when other people are weeping and weeps when other people are rejoicing. Listen, if something good is happening in another person's life, love rejoices for that. Love's not jealous. That ought to be me. I want what they've got. Love does not envy or boast. To boast is to think too highly of yourself. Love is not arrogant. Love is not prideful. Love doesn't think I'm better than another person because love reminds us we're all created in the image of God and we're equal in God's sight. He continues, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant. And then he writes in verse 5, or rude. We could just camp out right here, couldn't we? I don't know about you, but it feels like that the level of rudeness in our culture is on the rise. And we, we look to people that used to set an example, and they sometimes lower the standard, whether it be preachers or politicians. People are just rude. The word in the Greek means indecent. It means demeaning. This rudeness often takes on uh, sexual overtones. So it could be a, a vulgar talk or a vulgar way of treating other people. It could be inappropriate language. Just being rude in your words to someone else that demeans them. Rather than builds them up, you, you, you tear them down with your words. Love is not rude. In verse 5 he says, it does not insist on its own way. Love is not self-centered. Love is others-centered. God and people become the focus of our lives if we're motivated by love. But I'll just be flat out honest with you. Every fiber in my being is self-centered. I wake up every morning thinking first about me, not about you. I have to every day pray, God, please help me to live a life of love that does not insist on my own way where I treat people as pawns on a chessboard and I move and use them for my own advantage. God, I want to leverage my life for your glory and for their good. That's what love looks like, but that doesn't come naturally. 
And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You struggle with that as well. If we took a group photo today and then next Sunday we had it blown up and we had it up on the wall or we put it up on the screen, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to say, where am I? Let's see. You're going to look for yourself because that's just how we are. We're wired that way. We, we, we think first about ourselves. And it doesn't mean that you don't think about yourself. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. You need to have a healthy love for yourself. But a healthy love for yourself doesn't mean you use and abuse people. He continues in verse 5. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. And it is not irritable. So love is not easily angered. Love is short-tempered, or love is not short-tempered. Love does not fly off the handle. Love is not perpetually angry or grumpy or in a bad mood. Now, it doesn't mean if you've ever been angry or if you've ever had a bad day or if you've ever been irritable or if you've ever said something you wish you could take back, then you're not a person of love. No, we all fail in this in one way or the other, but if the whole tenor of your life or if the whole tenor of this season of your life is that you're irritable and angry and short-tempered. You need to re-look at what love looks like because that's not loving. It's understandable that we all have bad days, but as the habit of our lives, love is not irritable. And then he says in verse 5, or resentful. Love doesn't hold a grudge. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love is not keeping a list to retaliate at a later date. Love is not resentful. He's not finished. In verse 6 he writes, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, love has a proper sense of justice, a proper sense of right and wrong. Love is a champion for the truth. If you can rejoice when other people are suffering or other people have been mistreated or other people are being abused or downtrodden or aren't receiving the justice that you would expect, if you could rejoice when that happens, that's not love. One of the reasons why Christians ought to be concerned about justice in the world is because love demands it. I not only want what's right for me, I want what's right for you as well. Now, there's also something I want to say about this, this part of love, how love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Sometimes we get this mistaken notion that love just means going around being nice. And therefore, I can't ever say anything that might hurt your feelings or might offend you. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do to a, for a person is to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth in love. And in our culture, we have been sold a bill of goods that says, if you disagree with someone and you tell them you don't love them, that's not true. Sometimes people will push back on me at my biblical convictions based on my faith in Jesus Christ, and they'll say, that's not loving. How can you tell someone they're wrong? So, whoa, whoa, so you're telling me I'm wrong? Well, yes, you're wrong. Well, then how can you love me if you're telling me I'm wrong? 
Isn't it possible that two people can love and still disagree? And the truth is yes. People can still be people of love and stand up for what is true. It is how you do it that often makes all the difference in the world. This is especially true in in the Christian sexual ethic that Jesus laid out as the standard. People get so offended today. And it's so easy to say, I'm just going to compromise on that or I'm going to keep silent on that because I don't want to offend anyone and you can't tell someone they're wrong and and people will, will say that you're hateful. But the most loving thing I can do is tell you what Jesus says. You know, when Jesus was asked about these issues, he just went back to what God did in Genesis chapter one. It says, in the beginning, God created them male and female. And for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They too shall become one flesh. And it's sad that that has become offensive, hateful, intolerant in our culture when it's the most loving thing I can do is to tell you what Jesus Christ teaches. Now, do you love people who say, I don't agree with that? Absolutely. Do you treat people with respect who disagree? Absolutely. But love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. And then he writes in verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He said love's not fickle. Love is dependable. Love bears how many things? All things. Believes, in other words, doesn't lose faith in how many things? All things. Hopes, believes that God is up to something good. It may not be in my eyesight today, but I believe God is up to something good. How long does love hope? In all things. How long does love hang in there? Under what circumstances? Always. In all things. Love's dependable. Love is not, well, I love you until. I love you if. I love you when. No, love is love. I love you no matter what. And it's going to be dependable. You, you know why we have this beautiful description of love? Because it's, just a, it's a description of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful you didn't have to wake up this morning saying, I wonder if God loves me today. He loved me yesterday, not sure if he loves me today. After what I did yesterday, after what I said, how I treated my kid, uh, after losing that great big project at work last week, could God still love somebody like me? You don't have to worry about it. Because he loves you with an everlasting love, and he proved it through Jesus. Paul, let's skip down a few verses. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul writes, So now, faith, hope, And love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. People have speculated. Marty and I studied the Bible, and and so he's probably, he could teach this with his eyes closed. But people have debated, why does Paul say faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love? Some say, well, it's because when Jesus Christ returns, you don't have to worry anymore about Faith, because faith has become sight. The God in whom we believe without having seen our Lord and Savior Jesus, we will see face to face. It will be changed by his glory. 
And hope, hope is this forward-leaning expectation for good, that God is up to something good. Well, when Jesus comes back, all of our hopes have been fulfilled. All that is left is love. Love never ends. Love. And then, of course, others say, really, the, the reason that Paul says this is because the Bible says God is love. That one defining attribute, God is love. Is he, is he more than love? Absolutely. He's also holy. He's righteous. But God is love. And this is a picture of love. And just so you say, well, Ricky, we, we know we're all the scholars, Land. What do you think? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Paul doesn't tell us why he says, and the greatest is love. We can never fathom the depths of God's love. But the greatest of these is love. And no matter what else you have in your life, without love, you are a noisy nothing going nowhere. But the greatest thing in life is to be a person of love. I, I, I was talking to my family one night. We were talking about, you know, what ifs. You know, you know and not really what if, but when. It is appointed as a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. We stand before God. And so you start thinking about that, and you want to prepare your family. If something ever happens, here's what I've written down, and here's what I've arranged for my, my celebration of life. Here's the money to pay people to actually come and mourn, because I'd like for a couple of people to be there. And so, so you start thinking about that, and then you think about what if you have a, a, a eulogy, an obituary? What about a tombstone? Are you going to have something you want written on it? That's, that's hard. And so I told my family, I don't know what you're going to do. But one thing that I hope when I'm gone is that you will be able to say, not because I said it, but because you saw it as imperfectly as you see it in me. He loved because God first loved him. He loved us. He loved other people. And he tried to make our world better. He loved because God first loved him. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a bad purpose to live for. A bad mission to live out. To love God. To love other people. To try to make our world a better place. In the name of Jesus Christ. For his glory. How can we make this personal and practical today? Well, maybe, maybe this. If, are you dating? I won't ask you to raise your hands. Uh, and I'm not asking if you're married or you're dating. I mean, if you're dating, you're dating your spouse. I get that. Okay, I know what you mean. <laughs> and we're going to get to that, by the way. And Joe did a great job last Sunday, didn't he? If you heard Joe's message, it was absolutely fabulous. Don and I were celebrating our 31st wedding anniversary. We had honeymooned in Helen, Georgia, so we went back up to Helen, Georgia. And uh, so we went to Helen and back. And... Uh, <laughs> And so we were getting ready last Sunday morning uh, to check out at the hotel. So we worshiped with you uh, online. Aren't you grateful for our folks who make online services possible? Thank you guys for all that you do to volunteer. But he did a great job. So if you're dating, use this picture of love to evaluate your relationship. Does this person love me like this? No matter what they say, do they love me like this? And don't put them to an impossible standard that they must love you like this 
perfectly, always, at all times, under all circumstances. You don't love like that. Don't put that burden on them. But if the tenor of this relationship doesn't look like this, maybe it's not love after all. Could be lust. Could be infatuation. Could be friendship. But if you're dating, evaluate your relationship with this picture of love. Maybe you'll put their name in there. John Doe or Sally Doe is kind, patient, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, is not rude, is not irritable. Maybe that's what you'll do. And if you're married, let's get to the marrieds, use this picture of love to enhance your relationship. And by the way, if you're married, keep dating each other. Keep dating each other. Carve out time for the two of you. Don and I told our children we were a couple long before you showed up. We were best friends before you came on the scene. And so there were times we had to carve out our schedule to say we're going to be gone for a weekend or we're just going to go out and have a meal tonight and, and, or just walk on the beach. Sometimes we didn't have any money to do anything, but we could walk on the beach together. So keep dating, but let this picture of love enhance your relationship. Now, I don't want you to evaluate your relationship based on how the other person is treating you. You can't do much about that. I want you, husband, to say, am I loving her like this? I want you, wife, to say, am I loving him like this? And there again, no perfect standard. None of us can do this perfectly. We all fail. And when the other person fails, remember, love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't get historical. You mean hysterical? No, historical, where you bring up everything they've ever done in, your, in their past. No, love keeps no record of wrongs. We're all going to mess up. But try to let this be the tenor of your relationship. And for all of us, let's use this picture of love to evaluate and enhance any relationship of our lives. Can you imagine if we started, under the power of the Holy Spirit, tried to live out this picture of love? If we said, I want to give fewer definitions and declarations. I want to give more demonstrations of love in my friendships. Can you imagine what it would do to your friendships if you start loving as a friend like this? I'm going to start loving like this and demonstrating this kind of love when it comes to my interaction with people who disagree with me politically. I'm going to love like this. Can you imagine the difference it would make if you looked at another person who is vastly different than you are you don't have a lot in common, but you love them like this. Can you imagine what would happen in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, if we would start loving like this? And yet it's very easy for this kind of love to become a show that I'm going to put on my best behavior, be on my best behavior when I'm in public. The real test is do I love like this at home. Some of you may find it hard for me to be your pastor. Imagine being married to me. My wife has to listen to me preach under these lights. And then the real test is that I'm not just her pastor. I'm her husband. Do I practice this at home? Do I practice what I preach at home? Because I can promise you this. If I don't, she will see it. My three children will see it. And they will say, that's not love. That's hypocrisy. That's a performance. 
That's Ricky just being good for the public. But that's not who he is. So if you want to put all this into practice, please do. We're commanded to love all people at all times with no limits. But if it's really love, it's going to look like love at home first and foremost. But let me go ahead and just say what we all know. Jesus is the only perfect example of this kind of love. How many of you have performed your wedding? Anybody here? I performed your wedding. Several of you, several of you. Yes, thank you. I tie good knots, don't I? See, look. <laughs> Do you guys remember I read 1 Corinthians 13? This was during my charge to you as a couple. I've been talking to the whole audience, and we've been doing all the formal things, but then we get personal. And I asked you three things that drew you together, and I shared what you had written uh, to each other. And then I read you 1 Corinthians 13, and when it was all said and done, I said, let this picture of love guide you throughout the rest of your marriage. But remember, when you need an example of love, you won't find the perfect example in each other. You only find it in Jesus. And if you remember, I said to you, the Bible says God is love, and the Bible says Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So you could replace the word love with the name Jesus, and you can see how he treats you and now you have an example of how to treat each other. Jesus is patient and kind and does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not easily provoked or irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth, Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. And the most important thing we can do today as we leave this place is to not leave with our eyes on each other and not leave with our eyes on ourselves, but to leave today with our eyes on Jesus, the perfect example. And say, dear Lord Jesus, would you inspire me to love like this? And would you please empower me to love like this because I can't do it? Live your life through me. That's why Paul would write in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because Christ lives in you, friend, he can not only inspire you by how he loves you, he can empower you if you will lean on him and let him live his life through you as you trust him and obey him. So have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, do it today. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, let him inspire you and empower you to love like this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder from 1 Corinthians 13 that love is more than an emotion. It is an action. And in my life and in this church, in this community, and in this world, we actually need fewer definitions and declarations of love and we need more demonstrations of love. God, we are imperfect, flawed people, but we thank you for Jesus 
who died on the cross for us, died taking the sin penalty that we deserved on his own body. He tasted death for us, condemnation, separation, judgment for us. And having given his life, he rose from the dead on the third day and he promises forgiveness to all who will trust him, place their confidence in him. He promises eternal life And he promises to love us with an everlasting love. Thank you, God, for this great gift we have from Jesus. So if there's someone today who's never received Jesus, I pray, whether they're in the room or they're online, that today, God, they will say to you, dear God, I'm a sinner. I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and today I turn from my sin and I put my trust in him and him alone now for the forgiveness of sin and I receive his gift of eternal life. Help me to learn more about Jesus. Help me not to be ashamed of him and help me to live for him this life of love. Father, for those of us who've already done that, I pray that today we would rededicate ourselves to letting Jesus inspire us by his own example and empower us through the power of his Holy Spirit to demonstrations of love in every relationship of life. It's in this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.